What the Platinum Program allows us to do is under one umbrella and one certification, take the signature golf course that's being designed, planned, and constructed, and the clubhouse and any lodging facilities that are being developed as well and incorporate those implementing our green uh, a green lodging program for the uh, lodging and green hospitality for the clubhouse. Welcome to Golf Sustainability, the podcast dedicated to advancing sustainability of the environment and the game of golf for future generations. Hosted by golf sustainability founder, John Fiella. The Golf Sustainability Podcast will feature conversations with industry leaders on the environmental and social issues impacting the future of the game. Let's tee off. Hi, everyone. I'm John Fiella, and welcome to the Golf Sustainability Podcast. My guest today is Frank Lavardera, who is the Director of Environmental Programs for Golf at Audubon International. As many of Audubon International has been helping golf courses create and implement environmental programs for almost four decades. Frank, welcome to the podcast, and it's great to have you on the show today. Thanks very much, John. My pleasure to be here. Listen, the best place to start is really to get you to tell us a little about yourself and your journey that's that's led you to Audubon International and Maybe you could also then tell us a little about what you're doing right now. Sure, absolutely. Before coming to Audubon International in 2018, I spent 36 years in the environmental and engineering consulting world, uh, working for a number of different types of clients, uh, primarily governmental, municipal, federal, and industrial clients, steering them through the world of environmental compliance and environmental cleanup where that was necessary. I did enjoy my time in the consulting world, got to see a lot of nice places around the world. In particular, I did some work for the Navy that took me to, oh, I think, 26 Navy bases worldwide. So that was absolutely uh, a pleasure to, to work on those types of projects. But I was very fortunate in that being in the consulting world, got to see a wide range of different types of environmental projects and environmental situations. And after spending 33 years with one company, we sold the company in 2018, and that afforded me the ability to take some time off and was literally able to stumble upon this job that I'm in now at Audubon International. And I'm really, I do enjoy my time here at, at Audubon International. That's great. Now, tell us, before we talk about the programs at Audubon International, give us a sense for your current role and the type of activities you're engaged in as the uh, Director of Environmental Programs for Golf? Sure. I oversee uh, our two programs uh, for golf. One, our Audubon Cooperative Sanctuary Program, which is a program that's designed um, for existing golf courses. And then I also oversee what's known as our Signature Program, um, which is primarily for courses that are a new courses being planned, developed, and constructed, or courses that are going through significant renovations. Okay, excellent. And I would imagine that involves interacting with the individual courses. Do you get involved in kind of shaping and modifying the program also? Yeah, I think let's examine the Audubon Cooperative Sanctuary Program. As I said, that's for existing golf courses. Right. That program is designed for those courses to come in 
and with a, not a significant amount of modification to the course itself, mostly the practices that the superintendents are uh, implementing. And then if there's an area where changes are made, it's primarily the maintenance facility, which is a little bit different than the, the signature program, which is for golf courses that are being constructed. But I do really enjoy interfacing with golf course superintendents. One of the things that I learned early on in my tenure here at Audubon International is that just about every golf course superintendent that I've met really is a steward of the environment. They do take their jobs very seriously. It is, and I've said this on a number of occasions to people, I really enjoy, I could say this as an older guy, I do enjoy seeing the younger men and women who are golf course superintendents these days because mm-hmm. over the years, the curriculum in these uh, turf grass programs have changed where the focus obviously was primarily agronomy and, and, and turf grass management. Uh, I think now the programs are also implementing environmental uh, science uh, to the programs. Certainly the, the lead is agronomy and turf management. They are also getting uh, education on uh, the environmental sciences. And as I like to, to put it, uh, many of them, the first day out on the job, they understand the golf course and understand where they can get in trouble uh, with the environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a nice place uh, for them to start having that background uh, you know, in, in, in the environmental sciences. So on the, listen, your background as an environmental engineer is perfect. And particularly in the role of an advisor and consultant, I would imagine each of these projects with courses, you're leveraging both your kind of consulting expertise and obviously your industry expertise as an environmental engineer. The So the Cooperative Sanctuary Program is for existing courses and Tell us, tell us a little more about the signature program. Sure, the signature program, as I mentioned earlier, and it's a combination. We did at one point have what's known as a, a classic program, and that was for primarily golf courses undergoing renovation. But we are just about finalizing, bringing them together. So we'll just refer to it as the signature program. The signature program is designed for courses that are being planned, designed, and constructed, and then courses uh, that are going through significant renovations, really uh, moving a lot of earth around, uh, reshaping greens, fairways, tees, all those sorts of things. So at that level, our guidelines and principles at Audubon International, we we tend not to use the word regulations because we're not a regulatory body, Mm -hmm. but we have guidelines and principles. So at the signature level where the courses are being planned and designed and then ultimately constructed, our guidelines and principles might be a little bit more uh, rigorous but they can easily be incorporated into the design. So it does give us, as I like to put it, uh, a seat at the table with the golf course architect, the owner, the other consultants, the uh, future superintendent at the course, so that we can discuss our guidelines and principles and then they can be implemented. And a good example of that is where it comes to where water drains off the golf course. Sure. As we, we may know, just about all golf courses uh, there'll be under drains from the greens, from the fairways and the tee boxes. In the signature program, we're pretty uh, strict about where that water can go and where mm-hmm. it can't go. And where it can't particularly go uh, is into water, existing water bodies, whether they be streams or ponds or lakes around the course. So we're looking for things like uh, uh, what we call bioswales or uh, actual filtration uh, units that might be sand filters. So again, at the signature level where the golf course is being built, it's a lot easier to incorporate those features in the design. But yeah, my 
my consulting background does uh, uh, come in handy when you're having those face-to-face meetings with the designers and the, the golf course superintendents. And yeah, most of the superintendents that we deal with, very open to, to hearing from us and, and hearing our ideas uh, regarding sustainability uh, so that they can implement those practices on the golf course. But yeah, my background um, uh, in, the, in the environmental industry uh, comes in handy. Uh, just as a you know, personal note, um, I have a bachelor's degree in land and water resources, and then I have a master's degree uh, in urban and environmental studies. Uh, uh, technically, I consider myself an environmental scientist, uh, but sometimes that sounds a little pretentious. I go by whatever folks want to call me. Um, that's interesting. So it sounds like whether it's a course in the initial planning st- stages, if it's a course that's looking at an extensive redo and remodel, or if it's a course that simply wants to improve their environmental practices, Audubon International has a program that can help virtually and anyone regardless where they are in that continuum. Does that, did I get that right? Does that sound right? Yeah, I think that pretty much uh, hits the nail on the head. Okay, cool. So that, that gives us a good high level conceptual framework for the programs. Maybe we could drill down and talk about each program in a little more detail and if we could maybe discuss an example of a course that's involved with each of those programs and the journey that each of those members in the program had that 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 would be that would be great and i'm sure of interest to the listeners here today maybe we can start with the cooperative sanctuary program do you have a good example of of a course that's been involved with that Sure. Yeah. I'll speak about a specific course in a moment, but just generally how the program works. The the Audubon Cooperative Sanctuary Program has six certification components to it. There's initial site assessment and an environmental plan. And the site assessment gives us all the background information about the course, how many total acres, how many acres of managed turf, unique features with respect to whether there's water bodies, wetlands, prairie grasses, forested areas, those sorts of buildings, all those sorts of physical information. And then, as I like to put it, the environmental plan essentially is a questionnaire about the other five components of the program, Mm -hmm. those being water conservation, water quality management, wildlife habitat management, chemical use reduction and safety, and then outreach and education. And in this day and age, just about every golf course superintendent between best management practices and integrated pest management are doing a number of things that our program requires. So as they go through that environmental plan and answer the questions regarding things like water conservation and chemical use reduction and safety, they'll go through and they'll identify all the things that they are doing and probably then the things that they're not doing. So that'll identify what they need to do with each of the certification components to gain approval for that. So the, the example that I'll talk about is a golf course up in Maine, uh, Benefit Saco Country Club, which is, I believe, in Saco, Maine. Mm-hmm. Uh, came into the program about three or four years ago. During my entire tenure at Audubon International, I was working with them. on, And they had some unique features. It's a coastal course. A runoff basically goes right into some wetland or, or marsh areas that are tidal, and then eventually out to the ocean. Mm-hmm. Well, they were very careful 
about how their course was originally set up, but then in working with them and implementing some of our guidelines and principles for water quality management, implemented some vegetative buffers around some of the wetland areas. One of the other unique things that they had there is, as far as their maintenance facility was concerned, they really were not able to contain and treat their wash water coming from their equipment. One of the things our program does not allow in terms of wash water from uh, golf course equipment is the discharge of that water to any type of water bodies. And they were in, in, a, in a position where they were discharging directly to a stream that was downhill from the, the maintenance facility. So looking for ways, and didn't have much room, so looking for ways to come into compliance with our program. And ultimately, the, the one way would be to put in what we call a closed-loop wash water system. There are a number of commercially available systems that courses could go out and buy, but they can be expensive. Those systems, depending upon flow, can be anywhere from fifty to $75,000. So that's a lot of money. And this is a, a relatively small private club, so not a lot of resources to play with. So we talked about different ways that they could possibly comply with our guidelines and, and manage that water. And come to find out they had some very good soil conditions in terms of percolation. So they were able to develop what we call a rain garden, where they were to, able to, to take that water and basically create an area where that water will infiltrate into the ground and where the nutrients, because what we're concerned about is the nutrients in that water, typically that sure. washed water coming off the equipment is going to be high in things like nitrogen and, and phosphorus. So we don't want to see that discharge to a water body. Discharging it to what we would call a, a subsurface system, same principles as a septic system within the first a foot or two of that soil material, you're going to get a lot of bacterial action that's going to consume those nutrients. So this was a great way for them to overcome that potential guideline that they couldn't meet without having to spend a significant amount of money. The other thing that they needed to do was create a, a water quality management program, mm -hmm. again, which was a little bit tricky because this is a coastal course. But one of the principles there from our standpoint is to identify up gradient and down gradient and then te uh, test the, the up gradient water as it flows onto the course and then down gradient where it leaves the course and, and take a look at that and that the comparison of the analyses uh, to see what sort of impact the course is having on that surface water as it goes through the course. Uh, they were fortunate. They got a grant uh, from the local uh, county mm -hmm. uh, where they're located to help them create uh, that water monitoring system, uh, and we're able to come in and do the, the, the background testing that we require to establish, uh, you know, grounds for moving forward. So that was, they did a real nice job in, in pulling that together. And, and then the, once the courses complete the six certification uh, components, it's culminated with a certification site visit. So mm -hmm. actually, I personally did that a certification site visit. Oh, probably two summers ago now. And it was great because it was a real team effort between the golf course superintendent and a, a number of volunteers from the club membership that helped get them uh, to the point where they wanted to be. They were real, really pleased with uh, completing that process and then ultimately becoming certified. So a uh, great effort on, on their part. Yeah, it sounds like a great example of the whole program and it's one I'd like to get up to. The company I'm familiar with, Diversified Communications, they're based there in Portland. So during one of my spring or summer visits, I will I may visit that course. Thanks for adding the 
preface for how the program works. That was actually very helpful before talking about the the specific case, Frank. Let's let's talk now about the signature program. Can you tell us a little about how that works and then lead into an example? Sure. Yeah. The signature program, as you can imagine, because it's for brand new golf courses, is a little bit more complex than the ACSP program, the Audubon Cooperative Sanctuary Program. We just refer to it as the ACSP program. So where ACSP has six uh, certification components, the signature program actually expands to 11 different components. And all of those components are addressed in what we call a natural resource management plan for the golf course. And that's a big difference between ACSP and signature in that ACSP, excuse me, in signature, you prepare the natural resource management plan that discusses the 11 components and how you're going to comply with that. And the natural resource management plan is an important document because it's used both during the planning and construction process and addresses things like construction and various aspects of the construction process like erosion control and and various monitoring during construction to the actual operation of the course. So it becomes a handbook Mm -hmm. uh, for the operation of the course as the course moves forward. And that's a nice thing because as we know, in the golf industry, golf course superintendents move around. Mm-hmm. Generally, when they come out of school, they might be an assistant superintendent in a couple of different places. They ultimately become a superintendent. They'll spend a couple of few years at, at various clubs, always moving on and moving upward to eventually then the superintendent who has, pick a number, 10, 15, 20 years of experience, lands that premier job where they'll spend the balance of their career. So the point with the natural resource management plan is it becomes, as I said, a management document, a management tool that no matter who the superintendent is and no matter how many superintendents come and go, that is a living document that sits on the shelf that they could use to move forward with the program. So it addresses a wide range of issues. As I said, it mentioned, I mentioned some of the sort of the, the pre-construction design and then construction items and then moving forward. Uh, it it ha- has the management of the course in the operation stage, uh, which talks about its maintenance facility. Mm-hmm. And in the signature program, we don't refer to it as a maintenance facility. We refer to it as a natural resource management center. Mm-hmm. Because really, that's what golf course superintendents are doing. They're matri- managing natural resources uh, as, part of their, uh, as part of their charge uh, of running a golf course. We spend a lot of time in the signature program uh, talking about the Natural Resource Management Center and all the various uh, features it needs to have to be compliant with the program. And it goes beyond the things that were talked about for ACSP. In fact, in, in the, the signature program, one of the things, and there's three different levels in signature. There's bronze, silver, and gold. Mm-hmm. And now we're actually also introducing a platinum program, which I'll talk about later on, which incorporates some of the other certifications that our organization has for just beyond golf. Mm -hmm. But for instance, to be a gold signature member in terms of equipment discharge, you have to have a closed loop system Mm -hmm. for signature for that. In the fuel storage area, you've got to have a covered system. There's a number of different levels that I'm using gold as the, as the example here. So that natural resource manager plan, one of the other things it talks about is the water quality management program. Where in ACSP, 
We're primarily interested in nutrients, nitrogen, and phosphorus, as well as some of the physical components, pH, uh, temperature, dissolved oxygen. The signature program takes it a step further and has the uh, golf course look at uh, some of the uh, chemicals that it's using, the pesticides, um, herbicides, uh, and fungicides that it may use in, in terms of their testing. Uh, and the testing goes beyond surface water and includes groundwater as well. Uh, although we do give, of course, incentives to use chemicals that have less potential to have environmental contamination resulting from them. Uh, we use the formula that's been developed by Cornell University's Turfgrass School. It's called the Environmental Impact Quotient, mm-hmm. which is it's a big, long formula. But the, the one, the three that I remember are right off the top of my head are toxicity, solubility, and leachability. And it runs through a formula and assigns a specific number, numerical number one upward in terms of the chemical's potential to have an impact, adverse impact on the environment. The higher the number, mm-hmm. the more potential there is. So in the signature program, if you're using chemicals that score 25 or less, you don't have to include that in your testing. Anything beyond 25, mm-hmm. you'd have to do uh, water quality testing for that, both in surface water and groundwater. The Natural Resource Management Plan would contain all of that information. It would identify the points where uh, surface and groundwater need to be uh, tested. Uh, so that, uh, again, as the course operates, uh, all of that testing can be implemented. Once the natural resource management plan is completed and then the course is ultimately constructed, similar to the ACSP, we go out and do what we call a final environmental audit Mm -hmm. uh, for the the signature program where it is certified. So the example I'll use right now, we're working with a great entity up in Revelstoke, British Columbia, Cabot Revelstoke. Listeners may be familiar with the Cabot name. Uh, they have a number of uh, high-end resorts around the world. But Cabot, Cabot Revelstoke is being constructed now in Revelstoke, British Columbia, at the base of a ski mountain that's there. Uh, it's going to be a new 18-hole golf course uh, being designed. It's, it's right in the finishing the design and early construction phases now. Uh, they have just completed some of the, the clearing and are doing some of the rough grading now as the design is completed. I recently was up there uh, doing an initial site visit uh, and meeting with all the design folks uh, and the future superintendent there, uh, walking the property. And when we're doing this initial site visit for the signature program, what we're uh, in part trying to do is identify um, what we would call sensitive receptors Mm -hmm. uh, on what is the future golf course property and ask the designer to take into account those areas and as I like to say, we're not golf course architects. We don't pretend to be golf course architects, uh, but we like to work with golf course ar- architects, making them aware of uh, some areas on the property that might need a little bit more protection and, and like to see the design uh, reflect protection of those areas. And we're looking forward to the uh, Cabot Revelstoke project being completed. Uh, they're just in the process now of completing the natural resource management plan uh, I think they're supposed to be in operation if all goes well by the end of 2024. So hopefully by the end of uh, next summer or early fall, we'll be out to do the actual final certification walk on that property. But it is a gorgeous piece of property and a really nice uh, part of the world, that being British Columbia. 
Yeah. Wow. For the record, my calendar is open in next <laughs> fall, and I'd love to join you on that audit, Frank. The That's impressive that you've got Cabot Revel Stoke as a project. I've, I've had the good fortune to play up in Nova Scotia. I've not gone to the St. Lucia property yet, but they are, the job that they're doing, creating just wonderful high-end golf experiences is incredible. I'm, I'm very encouraged to hear that they're making the type of commitment to sustainability that's evidenced by them being involved with your, with your signature program. There's so much there that you shared that, that, that's really interesting. I didn't realize that you'll actually get involved in the planning process. And I know you're not a designer and you're not pretending to be an architect, but the time to do that, envi- the ideal time to do that environmental planning is when the plans are being created and the designs are being finalized. So that's that's something that makes a lot of sense. And I'm blown away by the amount of high-end development that's going around, that, that's going on now around the country. I think we talked about that Rodeo Dunes project, which is taking place in about an hour and a half outside of Denver, which is a Mike Kaiser project and uh, he partners with Cabot on some of their on some of their activity and we're in West Palm Beach Florida and in Martin County there are five new high-end courses being developed I would encourage uh, all of them to demonstrate the type of commitment to sustainability that Ben Cowan Dewar is at Cabot at Cabot Revel Stroke so good luck with that and I'm going to repeat, I'm available next <laughs> September, Frank. <laughs> uh, something else you mentioned there that I really liked was the, rather than calling it a maintenance facility, now referring to it as a natural resource management center. That's the one part of the course that members and golfers never really get exposed to. And it's such an important a component of that environmental plan for for a golf course. So I like the way you're helping people rethink about that part of their operation. Those were two great examples. Thanks very much for that. So I like to refer to sustainability as a team sport, but you know what? I want to hop back to something. The silver, gold, and platinum is for me is reminiscent of the lead building certification program. I've been in corporate sustainability for 10 years before moving into golf. And that lead certification program with those different tiers has been very successful in the in the commercial building space. And it makes a lot of sense that there's application to a similar, similar scale here. Um, right. Yeah. I'll th- let me take a moment. I'll just, uh, as I, I mentioned, then the, the signature program does have bronze, silver, and gold as right. different levels. And then just this year, we introduced this platinum program that we have. And and um, in, uh, international, most folks know us from golf course sustainability certification. We do have other certification programs at Audubon International. One, we have our green lodging program. We also have a green hospitality program. We also have a sustainable communities program as well, and then a ACSP for business program that we have. But the what the platinum program allows us to do is under one umbrella and one certification, take the signature golf course that's being designed, planned, and constructed, and 
the clubhouse, and any lodging facilities that are being developed as well, and incorporate those implementing our green our green lodging program for the uh, lodging and green hospitality for the clubhouse, which typically would have a restaurant and bar facilities. For instance, the Cabot Revelstoke project, that is a proposed platinum program because in addition to the golf course, their clubhouse is going to be part of green, green hospitality, and they're building a number of lodging facilities around the course that will be part of green hospitality. Prior to the implementing, implementation of the platinum program, it was a little bit more cumbersome because you had to join golf, you had to join green lodging and green hospitality separately to get all those three. But now the platinum program, as I said, puts an umbrella over the whole thing, and you could do it under one certification. So that's a pretty great way to get a full implementation of the certification program. And and obviously it's designed for resort facilities, yeah. uh, Cabot Revelstoke being one of them. I'm actually going to be traveling later this week out to Utah, Southern Utah, for the Black Desert Resort, which is in our platinum program as well. There the golf course is just finished and uh, being constructed, and they're in the process now of completing their lodging facilities uh, as well as their clubhouse, which will be implementing the green hospitality, green lodging under the platinum program as well. So it's a great tool, uh, especially for resort-type uh, facilities. Frank, I have to tell you, I don't know who's responsible for coming up with that idea to restructure your offering so it's all tied together into that platinum model, but I, I think that's really smart, and and it makes a lot of sense. So good good luck with that. Glad, Very glad to hear you're doing that. Well, thanks. In talking about sustainability, as I mentioned, I like to refer to it as a team sport. What what types of partnerships with either other industry groups or associations are you involved with that are that you think are going to be important to help Audubon reach their potential and have an impact at even more golf courses? Sure. Audubon International is a non-for-profit organization, so we're always looking for partners slash sponsors to help us implement our programs. And even and beyond the certification programs that we spoke about, we also have what we call a number of conservation initiatives mm-hmm. that we implement. One is known as our BioBlitz program, which helps both golf courses and businesses draw attention to sustainability by holding one day a year a BioBlitz on their property. And the BioBlitz can do a lot of things. We encourage golf courses to invite their members and the community to come out and do things like wildlife inventories, species identification. They can do that for wildlife. They can do it for plants. They can do a whole variety of games for kids that involve the environment. Uh, the, The goal there is to have people see the golf course beyond its primary function as a golf course, but more as a green space and as a, a wildlife habitat. So our, that's our BioBlitz program. We also have what's known as our Monarchs in a Rough program, uh, which provides uh, milkweed and wildflower seeds for golf courses uh, to do things like pollinator gardens, uh, which include milkweed for monarch butterflies. Uh, so that's another program we, we implement. Um, and then we, we also have a program uh, that is our um, uh, program re- related to birds. It's our raptor relocation program, which provides fundings for trapping 
birds at airports and relocating those birds to our member sites that have the proper habitat for things like red-tailed hawks, for various types of owls, all types of species that can get in trouble at airports with planes, because as we all know, planes and, and uh, birds don't mix. Uh, right now, that program is being implemented at the uh, five uh, New York, New Jersey Port Authority airports, and also out at San Francisco International Airport as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but all of these conservation initiatives uh, all take money uh, to fuel them. So that's as a non-for-profit organization, we look for sponsors to help us uh, work on these programs. Uh, and sponsorship can take a whole different form and shape depending upon who you are and what your goals are. Sure. Like on the golf side, one sponsor we have right now is a company called Water IQ. That makes a fantastic product for treating and eliminating algae in ponds and lakes at golf courses without any chemicals. It uses ultrasonic technology. It's a basically a pod that floats in the center of the water body and below has a number of ports that shoot out ultrasonic waves. And those ultrasonic waves destroy the cells that make up blue and green algae. So without any chemical use, you can control your algae in your ponds. And it's been proven that those, that ultra, those ultrasonic waves have no impact on aquatic life when they're in the ponds or water bodies. They're a great sponsor of ours. And, and while I like to say we don't endorse products or services, but we do work with companies whose products and or services we feel are sustainable and would benefit golf courses. They're a great sponsor of ours. Another new sponsor coming on right now is called Porous Pavement. They make a product that's used in a variety of function at golf courses. One would be cart paths. The other would be linings of sand bunkers where you get this, uh, their product provides a very stable sub-base to the sand bunker, but also allows infiltration through the bottom, even though it's a relatively firm and stable surface. And, and their product is also used in a variety of other applications, from parking lots to, to different other hardscape areas at, at various things, but including uh, golf clubs. So those are an example of two sponsors that we work, we work with. We're also, also looking for sponsors all the time, Any, anybody out there who has a product and or services that, that they feel is environmentally sustainable, we'd love to talk to you about that. And the quid pro quo on the sponsorship program is that we can introduce you, your product and or services to over 2,000 of our members who, by being members of our organization, presumably want to use products and services that are environmentally sustainable. So it's it's a nice way to, to benefit our programs and also have golf courses avail themselves to those types of products and services. Interesting. Great example of a couple of partnerships. I'm going to look into that water IQ myself. We at where we live, we've got three Nicholas design courses and that might be something that, that has some, some potential for us. You know what, right. Frank, I'll list in the show notes, I'll have links to the Cornell Tur Turf School Program, Water IQ, Cabot, Revel Stroke. Like you've mentioned some really interesting things with other players in the market. So we'll include them in the show notes so any listener can l learn more about those. We'll also include your contact information. So Absolutely. If, so if a listener wants to reach out to you, they can, they can do so. And I would be, if I could just interject, I would be remiss if I didn't mention our relationships with USGA, and GCSA as well. 
those are long-standing relationships that we've had that go back to the founding of the organization back in 1987. And for a while, the USGA was a significant sponsor in the formative years of the program. But we still have contacts and relationships at, at USGA and also at the GCSA as well. Yeah, the, the we did an interview last week with Kevin Sunderman, the chief operating officer at Golf Course Superintendents Association, and they're doing some fascinating work. Their uh, best management practices program, I think, is outstanding, and we're going to be supporting their efforts. And I could see that. I mean, the, the the natural tie between your program and their member base is as a no brainer. Thanks. I that kind of wraps up what I want to talk about related to golf. Now I want to talk about Frank and Frank. I like to ask each of my guests a couple questions that'll give us a better sense for who they are as a person. And your enthusiasm, your enthusiasm for what you're doing comes through clear as a bell. What drives you, Frank? What is it that really gets you going and driven to do what you do at Audubon International? Yeah, John, we're to the point now where we are here in the United States and the world around that we understand our relationship. When I say our relationship, what we call the built environment or, or civilization as a whole and our relationship to the environment. And we know that we can you know, mess up the environment if we're not careful. It's actually somewhat easy these days for folks to implement sustainable design, sustainable operation, because we have so much information at our hands, so much data that tells us where we could be messing up the environment or where we are messing up the environment. But that's not always the case. Like I mentioned earlier, I'm an older guy. My undergrad degree was 1981. So back in the day when I first started out, the word sustainability wasn't even around. The first Earth Day was, what, 1972 or so, and environmental conservation and, and, and that sort of stuff was Initially, folks, industry looked at it as, well, it's a bunch of quacks that are talking about that stuff. Uh, yeah, I've been doing this a long time, you know, 40-plus years now in the environmental arena, uh, and I've seen things, you know, change you know, drastically from way back when. So, yeah, it, it always, especially in my early days when I first came out of school, I started to work for a small engineering company in northern New Jersey, and... I was the, quote, environmental guy, whatever that was. But this particular company did a lot of work in land development, small shopping centers and subdivisions and things like that. And it was just, again, formative years of the environmental uh, compliance world. There might have been some forms. The the first stages of environmental assessments and impact statements uh, were, were necessary. So I was the guy that filled out all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, I got to work with the civil engineers and land planners talking about projects and suggesting ways that possibly the project could be a little bit better in terms of the environment. Things like stormwater infiltration back into the ground while soil permits that, saving significant stands of trees maybe to offer some shade areas, wildlife habitat. And before you know it, these engineers and designers started to implement some of my ideas. So that was a cool thing way back when to say, hey, they'll, they'll listen to me. Uh, when I talk about stuff. Yeah, it, it, it's really been great to see the whole industry evolve over the last 50 plus years. And you know, like I said, I've been part of that for, for 40 years now. Yeah, that's what kind of pushes me or, or motivates me is to be able to, to have a helping hand in folks doing things 
that now that word sustainability is used quite a bit. Sure. So yeah, it is, it's great to, to have that input. That's great. So Frank, who has in the past or who currently inspires you? There's been a lot of people along the way, believe it or not, who have inspired me. I was very fortunate in my career when I started to work. As I said, my first job out of school was was in northern New Jersey and had a it was a very small uh, company, but led by one dynamic uh, civil engineer who I uh, uh, really looked up to and learned quite a bit, not only from the engineering aspects of what his company did, but also how, how business works, how the consulting industry worked. And while I only worked there a relatively short period of time, I learned quite a bit. Then I was very fortunate. My next job was in New York City, mm-hmm. working for an engineering consulting firm environmental firm in, in Manhattan, uh, got to work on some great projects in the mid to late 80s in New York City, and fortunate enough there to have one significant boss who was really a great guy that knew not only a great deal about business as well, the consulting business, but really knew quite a bit about the environment, was, was way ahead of his time, so I was inspired there. And then, as luck would have it, I joined a an engineering and consulting firm in the Albany, New York area, where I spent 33 years and was uh, very fortunate to work with the founder of that company, who, again, was a very dynamic individual who inspired me as well. Yeah, and it's funny now, as you do get older, who tends to inspire me now are more the younger people (laughs) who I see working and coming up and and doing great things relative to to the environment. And there's even, we have some great people on our staff, young environmental scientists and wildlife biologists who inspire me by the work that the, the work that they do. And I see the relationship that they have with our members. And that's really great. You come full circle when you're a younger guy, you look up to the older folks. And now as an older guy, I look, I look up to some of the younger people that I, I get to work with and, and interact. And yeah, there's some great superintendents. There's, I, I, I hate to name one or two because there are so many great ones that inspire me but there's a there's really a rock star in our program a gentleman by the name of Jim Pavanetti who is the superintendent of Fairview Country Club uh, in Greenwich Connecticut and, and Jim literally is a, a rock star uh, when it comes to environmental sustainability on the golf course uh, and I was fortunate to uh, yeah, he is in our Audubon Cooperative Sanctuary program and there was the recertification process in that program happens every three years. And this year, his recertification was a uh, site visit recertification. And I actually was able to go out and visit him at his course. And he was just, uh, couldn't wait to show me all the great stuff that he was really doing out there. And uh, there's somebody who really lives and breathes sustainability. It's nice to see that. And yeah, Jim Pavanetti at Fairview definitely inspires me these days. <laughs> that's that's great. Listen, we're going to have Jim on for an episode, I he sounds like a great person to talk to, and I know you'll help me connect with him. Listen, if those younger folks are smart, they're going to be trying to learn as much as they can from you because of your experience. And you don't need to refer to yourself as an older guy. You've got so <laughs> much game left, Frank. Your energy, your enthusiasm, man. You you are you got a lot more to do, and that's great. That kind of leads to the last thing I'd like to ask you, and that is, what is it that you'd like to be remembered for in the industry? What is it 
what's the impact that you would like to have had on the on the world of golf? I've I've only been part of the, the golf world now for a short time. It's just a little bit over five years. I, I joined Audubon International in October of 2018, so I haven't had a lot of time in the industry. But if there's one thing that I think as time moves on and and, and people look back at well, what I've done here is somebody who who really cares or cared about the environment and was easy to work with. I think that's one of the things that I like to have our members know is that whether it's just me or, or folks on our staff, that we want to be very user-friendly. We want to convey information. There's so many high-pressure situations in the world these days. I mean, we don't want our members' relationship with us to be that. We want it to be very informal, as I just mentioned, really user-friendly. So I want people to look back and say, hey, that was not only a guy who knew a lot uh, about the environment, but somebody who was really easy to work with. I enjoyed working with that guy. That's probably the best compliment somebody could pay to me is saying, yeah, I, I really like working with that guy. That's, I'll tell you what, that would be an awesome way to have people talk about you when you're done in the industry. <laughs> and my sense is that's going to be the case. You've certainly been easy to work with on getting this podcast put together. And hey, listen, I look forward to doing a couple more episodes. I, I think having Pavanetti engaged at some point down the road is an opportunity doing something on Revelstoke once that's out of the gate. Those would be two great follow-ups. One of the key things we want to do, Frank, is we want to give people examples to follow, right? Models to emulate. Who's doing it right? And I'm optimistic about being able to do more with you. It's been a great conversation. I can't thank you enough for carving time out to be on the Golf Sustainable Golf Sustainability Podcast. I really I appreciate you. The work you're doing is important, and I wish you well going forward. Thanks very much, John. I really appreciate being asked to come on and be able to, to speak. I do thank you again. My pleasure. And to our listeners, thanks for tuning in on today's really insightful and interesting episode. I think the work that's being done at Audubon International is really important to our industry. And I, I feel privileged to have had the opportunity to bring this episode to you. If you like the episode, please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast player. Tell your friends about it. Uh, keep listening. And we look forward to having you with us on future episodes of the Golf Sustainability Podcast. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Golf Sustainability Podcast. Take action on the ideas inspired by this episode. You can find out more about golf sustainability in the show notes for each podcast episode and following us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Subscribe now on your favorite podcast player, and we'll see you soon on another episode of the Golf Sustainability Podcast.